Welcome, and thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. Our sermon today is about a subject we talk a lot about here at First Pres, grace. Today, we also explore God's call on each of our lives. But first, a pastoral word from First Pres Senior Pastor Dan Chun. Hey, um, before I begin uh, my, the sermon, I want to have a Papa Bear moment with you all and share my pastoral heart. Uh, we have worked hard to make this church um, always a place of grace, uh, where people might know of the amazing, accepting love of Jesus. For more than three decades, I personally, as your pastor, have tried to design and nurture this place, this special place, to be a place where people find refuge and safety. And I know you're thinking, for three decades? Yeah, I'm ancient of days. And I've tried to decide, um, design a place where we would teach the gospel with all of its nuances and complexities of truth, a place where the hurting and the healthy would be welcome. And last week, there was a decision by our U.S. Supreme Court uh, that was and is highly controversial. And I know for some, it was a celebration, uh, but for others, it was gut-wrenching and extremely painful. I want to state that in this church, all people are to be respected. As people come to certain belief systems, we recognize that in a pluralistic society, we need to respect and honor people's right to their beliefs. And this is a unique aspect of First Press. What has been especially hard for our church is that we are so diverse. We believe that if this is really the church of Jesus, then it has to be diverse. All should be welcome. If the church is all Democrat, then something's wrong. If it is all Republican or fill in the blank, Libertarian or Green Party or whatever, then it's not really the church of Jesus that attracts all to his gospel. All races, all classes, all genders, all political views. If we only accepted certain people, then we would be more like a club than a church. Hence, it's very hard sometimes to be under one tent where we try uh, hard to respect everyone's right to their convictions. If we gave the impression last week that we do not fully respect people's feelings in response to the overturning of Roe versus Wade, uh, then I apologize for that. We acknowledge that while the decision was a great cause for joy for some, others were emotionally crushed by it. And know that on both sides, there are mature Christians who have different convictions. Those of you who have been with our church for decades know that from the pulpit, our tradition has been that we have not taken sides on political issues. You have never heard me tell you what politician you should vote for, nor on what issue you should vote for. We have not celebrated the passing or defeat of any bill. In the days after the last presidential election of Trump versus Biden, 
I told you all on that first weekend after that Tuesday that we must respect everyone's decision in the vote. And it was surely not right to rejoice when some were in pain. We can teach you biblical principles of love and forgiveness and grace, but it's up to you to take these principles and apply them to your lives. It's up to you whether you want to be a Democrat or Republican or Libertarian or don't declare any party and just be independent. Even on biblical issues, I realize for some here, you might be trying to figure things out. You might be an agnostic or an atheist. Or some of you might have read the Bible for many years, but you're still trying to learn more and apply difficult Christian principles to your life, like love your enemies, love the poor, love the unlovable, be generous, forgive and receive forgiveness, or to admit when you're wrong. In that sense, whether atheist, agnostic, or new Christian or mature Christian, it is my hope that in humility, we will always be on a journey to learn and to love and forgive, and to be in conversation with each other, not to make a point or to make others agree with us, but to listen, to understand. We must learn to listen and not just hear. But guess what? We're all human, and we make mistakes, and often bad ones. And we have not always listened, or as we say here in Hawaii, we can have deaf ear. Or we can assume, or we can misinterpret, um, and we can judge too quickly. We have not always been sensitive to one another. Um, I can't believe all of the mistakes I've made in life. You've heard me tell you of the mistakes I've made even in leading this church, and I've been very open about that. I didn't have a huge heart for releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. And I wasn't initially, um, which is, I would say is a sin, um, if not a big bummer. I wasn't initially um, for sponsoring kids through Compassion International. I was deaf or I didn't care. And then I realized the errors of my ways, and now our church has sponsored more than 1,200 kids through that ministry. I wasn't for the Alpha Course as a way for discipleship and evangelism. The top people of Alpha flew in from England to explain it to us, and I just didn't get it when they asked me to have it here. But then years later, I realized my mistake of rejecting it, and so I changed course. And as a result, many came to Christ through Alpha, and this year, more than 330 were involved in the course, including more than 200 at our Alpha Day Away retreat. And as you know, for years, I've told you, I was a cessationist, um, meaning I thought the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit died with Jesus and the apostles, and I wasn't really into the Holy Spirit, nor to the spiritual gifts of healing or supernatural words of wisdom to strengthen, encourage, or comfort others. And I was wrong on that. But now we pray for healing and the gifts all the time. So I was a little slow in learning on those uh, circumstances, and I hope all of us will be humble, lifelong learners about Jesus. Some of us are fast learners, and some of us are slow learners, and that's totally okay. I'd rather have that than us refusing to learn. 
My friend Margie actually says there really are only learners and non-learners. And even if you're a slow learner, we're still learning, and so that's good. All of us have a lot to learn, and all of us have to learn to listen and show empathy and not just hear. Listen and not just hear. So what do I mean? Recently, I went on a bird-watching tour in a forest. It was a pretty new thing. Never done that before. And to my huge surprise, bird-watching was really more about bird-listening. I hardly saw any birds. It was hard to see birds or get the binoculars up in time before it took off. While maybe we saw seven birds in two hours, as they're all as far away and up in tree branches, we actually listened to and through our guides identified 27 birds just by their chirps or calls. I was hearing the different calls, um, which at times sounded like this cacophony of crazy sounds, but the, the guides were really listening and could identify them. Listening was more important than just hearing. And for a Christian community, listening is more important for it is in listening that we build community. May we all be on a journey to be open to people of different ideas and be incredibly gracious to one another and hear one another's pain and sorrow. I've said that we are a hospital um, for sinners and not a museum of saints. And when I say sinners, that includes pastors because we too make mistakes all the time. And when I say saints, I'm referring to people like you who are trying to make your best every day to be holy and make holy decisions and try to always be in the presence of a loving God. We're all human, imperfect in many ways. But being loving and always trying to be a bridge builder, a person of peace and not of discord, is what today's sermon is all about. So, please stand to honor the reading of the word, and I'll be reading from the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, beginning with verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I'm sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest of that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves to be paid. Don't move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you and cure the sick who are there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. 
This is a passage right from our lectionary, as it was last week, that we have a schedule that's written out that churches all over the world are following. And uh, it's a passage that seems pretty straightforward. But I hope that as we plumb the depths of it, we will see that there are deep lessons on so many levels and challenging thoughts that will hopefully make us all flourish more in our living and encourage us to be peacemakers in a city. So let's take a journey through the story, and we're going to go verse by verse, because most scripture passages have a natural outline. It begins with our Lord sending out 70 disciples. Now, 70 is an interesting number. Some versions say 72, but the number 70 is very important in the Jewish culture. You know why? Moses, for one, had 70 elders who were to help him to lead the people towards the promised land. There were 70 in the Sanhedrin, the supreme religious council of the ancient Jews. And when the gospel was written... It was believed that there were 70 countries in the whole world. So the writer Luke might have been thinking, what what Jesus just said applies to the whole world. So Jesus is asking his disciples, all those who call themselves followers of Jesus, to tell people in their town and all over the world about him. Why? The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Meaning, there are millions of people who, because of their pain or questions, or doubts, they need to hear about Jesus. But for reasons we don't know, God has chosen not just to snap his fingers and just have everyone follow him supernaturally. He has chosen his people, you and me, to tell others about God's love. Not angels, but we humans. And there's no plan B. We are the ones who must live, model, communicate God's grace and mercy. Now, more than other times, there are many who need to hear about the real Jesus in a thoughtful, kind way. We know about how there's a rising number right now of agnostics and atheists and exiles, uh, former churchgoers, often called exiles. So how do we reach them? And we know There have been churches and church leaders and denominations who have not acted well towards them and which have led them to feel that religious organizations are flawed, they're bigoted and abusive, and so they have left. That's the term exiles. Jesus said back then and would say today that there are many people who need the gospel and would want the gospel if they only had a healthy view of it. He is hoping for willing ones to share the gospel, the good news with them, and that this is about a Jesus who who died for us, who loves us, who accepts everyone. But alas, says the Lord, while the harvest is plentiful, there are not enough laborers, meaning people willing to share the gospel in a healthy way. But my job, or anyone's job, is not to force people to share Jesus' love, if they don't want to. No twisting of arms. Now you may say, is that a neglect of leadership on my part? No, there's a greater reason. And uh, I like what um, Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, the author of the book, The Little Prince, once said. By the way, I'm really bad at French, so I hope I said that right. The English teacher's going, 
that's bad. But here's the great quote. This is what he said. If you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them tasks to work, but teach them to long for the immensity of the sea. The question is, how big is your sea? Which happens to be the title of this talk. How big is your sea? Do we have a longing for the, of the immensity of the adventure or, um, of a voyage for our Lord? To share the love of Jesus with others and to show his mercy and grace and love to all. Jesus has blessed us in so many ways, including, as I said earlier, our country's independence, the, um, the, July, the 4th of July, which we're celebrating tomorrow. There are lots to be thankful for, but he never blessed us just to keep it to ourselves. We were blessed to go out to be a blessing to others. He never blesses someone without the hope or the command for them to go out and bless someone else. And after the blessing, you'll notice all throughout the Bible, God normally says this phrase, okay, time to launch. Get your boat out there. You have been blessed. Now it's time to launch. Go out in the deep blue sea and share and help and heal and lead people to God. Time to launch. In Genesis chapter 12, God says to Abraham, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So then what happens? God says, Abraham, time to launch. Get out of here. Do it. In Exodus 3, Moses meets God in a burning bush, and he experiences the intimate blessing of God's holiness. But then God says, time to launch. Go to Egypt. Tell Pharaoh, let my people go. In Isaiah 6, in the Old Testament, God goes to Isaiah in a burning coal from the altar, comes to Isaiah to heal him of his guilt. And God asks, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And appropriately, Isaiah, maybe he's smart, he's a prophet, he says, here I am, Lord, send me. He already knew immediately it was time to launch and do good in the world in the name of the Lord. Send me. Hence, I believe God calls us to being at least three things to be a carrier of good news, to be a community, and to be a curer of ills. Carrier, community, cure. First, be a carrier. Now, unfortunately, today when we hear that someone's a carrier, we're not thinking of a postal carrier, but a carrier virus like COVID, and we can fear a 20% positivity rate. But when Jesus says the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few, he is in essence saying he desires carriers who can spread the love of Jesus like a good virus so that there may be a high positivity rate of being evangelized, that the Holy Spirit is spreading and dwelling inside of people. Sometimes God calls us unexpectedly that it's time to go out and help or save some people. And sometimes we're, in, we're living in the midst of a great blessing and, and suddenly we have the opportunity to do good, to save and bless others. So here's what I mean. And let me tell you about one of the main metaphors of our church um, that we use to describe our mission. The reason we have a big picture of the ocean liner, the Carpathia, in our church lobby and in the waiting room to my office 
is that we want to be reminded of the story back on April 15, 1912, the ship Carpathia and its 740 passengers were tremendously blessed. They left New York City for a relaxing Mediterranean cruise towards Croatia. The pastors had the good fortune in money and providence to be able to experience the kind that, that kind of voyage. And ah, the good life, an ocean cruise with a feast of food and beverage and people serving you. But then on April 15, right around midnight, their crew received a distress signal that the ocean liner Titanic was sinking. Not the Titanic. It was the largest ship at that time. It had 2,224 passengers. It was built so that Leonardo DiCaprio could become famous. <laughs> More seriously, it was built for opulence with a gymnasium and high-class restaurants and fancy elegant cabins and libraries. It was designed to be unsinkable with its watertight doors and compartments. The ship was built to never sink, but alas, it hit an iceberg and was taking on water. Lots of it. And the Carpathia received the emergency call. Time to launch in a new direction. Forget the Mediterranean holiday that they were blessed in. They had to go out and save the passengers. And so when the brave captain on the Carpathia, Arthur Rostrum, um, heard the distress signal from the Titanic, he told his crew to go full speed to where the Titanic was. Even though there were many icebergs in the water, the same kind of icebergs that sunk the Titanic. And the ship got there about an hour after the Titanic sank, and 1,500 people uh, drowned, mostly because other ships did not respond. But though the laborers were few, the Carpathia heard the call and did respond. They launched out, and the Carpathia pulled out 705 passengers from lifeboats in the freezing water, shared their blankets and food and their rooms, and in essence, canceled their holiday to save hundreds of people. With 740 people on the Carpathia and 702 rescued, it was almost a one-to-one -one ratio of sharing food and clothing. They really had to sacrificially share. The challenge for all of us is, are we willing to be inconvenienced and share what we have to answer the call to go out and love people in Christ's name? Are we willing to hear the call, time to launch? Get out there, out of our comfort zone, for the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, meaning there's not as many people willing to do that. So this is the principle. God never calls you into his presence except to send you out on a mission. All followers of Jesus should be on a, on a movement or mission to share about the love of God, to somehow bring people closer to him. So what's your mission? Now, I'm not saying to be in a mission means you have to leave your job and be a nun or a priest or a missionary. Your mission might be your job as a teacher, maybe a doctor, maybe an administrative assistant, or a city and county worker, or a student. Wherever you are might be the prime mission God is calling you to be a peacemaker, an agent, or an ally with Jesus to spread love in his name and bless the city. Or it might be to help the poor, 
or the environment or the imprison. If we've been blessed by God, we need to be a blessing to others. If we know the love of God, why would we hoard it? If, if we knew the cure to cancer, it would be wrong to not let others know about it. If we were at the railing on the Carpathia and saw people from the Titanic afloat in the freezing water, it would be wrong not to move out and help. People who don't know God will drown spiritually. The crew of the Carpathia received medals for their bravery, and you can see exact replicas of those medals in the glass near the espresso bar um, at the, um, in the glass case by the espresso bar. And um, also, um, there is a uh, picture of the Carpathia um, that is signed by the daughter of the captain. Um, it was nice to get that signed for us, as well as by the last living I think she just passed away recently, um, who was a tiny baby back then named Milvina Dean, who if you look really carefully at the picture, you'll see that this little burlap bag being raised up um, from a lifeboat into the safety of the Carpathia. And, but to me, she represents the new generation who would like to help others who have been blessed. It's very hard to find a painting, by the way, of the Carpathia. There are gazillions on the Titanic. Um, but interesting, the picture we have on display is fittingly entitled by the artist, uh, Salvation. And the artist signed our picture too. So the first point is be a carrier. The second point is um, be a community. And sometimes we hear God wants you to go and share the gospel, and it can send shivers down our spine. What do I say? What do I do? But all God is saying is be relational. Be part of and invest in a community with people, and there will be opportunities to talk and share about Christ. And go out in community. Go out in twos means do ministry with friends. And so remember the verses that come up. Verse 3 says, go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. And we're going, oh, man, wolves? Like, that's scary. Okay, the reality is it's not a world that is necessarily friendly to, to Christians or the church. So be Akamai, be wise about, um, about that in how we talk about our faith. Don't be divisive. Don't be judgmental. Be loving, be kind, show unconditional love. And remember, lambs are gentle. And so it's a reminder, be gentle like lambs or as you are in your job or neighborhood. What people can't stand are arrogant, strident people. Also, Lambs are weak, so we always need to rely on Jesus and use his power to help others, not just our own. And then the next verse, number four, says, carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. And Jesus just is asking you to live simply, not extravagantly, because um, that can be a real put-off to the non-Christian. Living a simple life, maybe for some a minimal life, can be attractive. And then verses five to eight, Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking. Whatever they provide for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you. You don't like raw fish? Eat it, man. It's sushi. So... We desperately need people who offer 
peace and are peacemakers. Peacemakers are those who can listen and empathize, who build bridges and take down walls. Peacemakers work alongside those who have different beliefs than you. Peacemakers are not judgmental. And this, there is a sense that Jesus is calling us to be real friends and build deep friendships with people. Don't be a drive-by Christian with shallow relationships, but be one who is actually involved in the community. You know, some people have many, 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 many friends, but their relationships may be a mile wide in quantity, but unfortunately, they're only about an inch deep in the depth of intimacy. Many people, well, let me reverse that. May people see you as one who brings peace and encourages people and offers them the peace of God through deep friendships. And notice this passage says you should dine with people in the city, break bread with them, nurture authentic friendships with them. Evangelism that way is not to be hard. I mean, be yourself, meet around food, but, but be Jesus in that sense. And be intentional how you want to offer peace to people in their homes. You know, I just came back from Canada to um, check out a ministry called um, Arasha, which means the rock in Portuguese. And it's a community of Christians who are dedicated to earthkeeping and their scientific research, um, who not only farm together, but they live and pray and eat with one another. And you can really sense their love for one another, for God, and for the caring of his creation. Community is powerful. And all Jesus is saying that when you eat and work with another and have real community, there is a bonding that is attractive and appealing. And if you're offering peace to a people and to the city, that is super attractive. And finally, Jesus calls us to be a curer of people's ills. For Jesus said in verse 9, cure the sick who are there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to them. So Jesus says, when you are in the community with people, be part of the process of their healing, whether they are sick emotionally, physically, or spiritually. You may not be dispensing medicines or drugs, but you, sh you could be dropping by with that casserole, or remembering birthdays, or writing a card, or making a phone call of encouragement, or you could pray for them for healing and comfort and strength. You could invite them to an alpha group, or a rooted group, or attend with your friends to those events and be community. Or get this, it might just mean giving a book to a friend in need. And you're thinking, just giving a book? How, how could that be, like, powerful? I remember in 1974, the um, special White House counsel to President Richard Nixon was Charles Colson, who was convicted for conspiring to cover up the Watergate burglaries. And he was a really bad dude. Um, he said, and I quote, I'd walk over my own grandmother to reelect Richard Nixon. Um, while awaiting trial, his friend, Tom Phillips, who was chairman of the company called Raytheon, uh, gave Colson a book called Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, great book. And that book helped lead Colson to becoming a Christian. Colson went on to prison. He spent seven months there, and he saw how much prisoners need help. And so later, Colson started Prison Fellowship, which is today the country's largest outreach to prisoners, ex-prisoners, and their families. He was also a big proponent of creation care and helping Protestants and Catholics to work together. 
but it all started with a friend giving him a book. And that's not hard for one who shares the faith. Maybe Tom Phillips might have thought, I can't be a laborer of the harvest. I'm not a teacher. I'm a corporate guy. I'm a CEO. I wouldn't know what to say if someone asked me how to become a Christian. But I could give out books. That's not hard. And that's what he did, which indirectly helped thousands of inmates to be led to Christ and help through Chuck Colson. So I said at the beginning that one is not going to go out and help people in Jesus' name unless one has a big ocean of vision. Hence, I want to bookend this sermon with saying again the quote that I said at the beginning. If you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them tasks to work, but teach them to long for the immensity of the sea. And each of us have to figure out how to long for the immensity of the sea, how to have a big vision to help humanity. And for me, much of my vision in wanting to help people that makes the long hours and long days and nights worth it, it's a simple song from a Broadway play from many years ago called Man of La Mancha. It's a story of Don Quixote de La Mancha, an errant knight who lives by the highest of deals. He is so loving that people think he's crazy. He is so loving that he sees the goodness in a prostitute named Aldonza, who he renames as the beautiful Dulcinea. And probably the most famous song for the musical is a song you might have heard called The Impossible Dream. And it's sung by Don Quixote, describing his mission and how big his sea is. And you know, for me, it's a Christian song. For me, it shows me the immensity of the sea, of possibilities of ministries for all followers of Jesus, and has, has all the marks of a real vision that fights for justice and idealism and making this earth a better earth. And for me, it's a real calling for a Christian. And for years, it's been my life calling. And so, here are the lyrics, and maybe there is something in there for you and what God is calling you to do. I'm not going to sing it. I'm going to say it. <laughs> Grace and mercy abide. And so it says this, to dream the impossible dream, to fight the unbeatable foe, to bear with unbearable sorrow and to run where the brave dare not go. To right the unrightable wrong. To love pure and chaste from afar. To try when your arms are too weary. And to reach the unreachable star, which for me is like the Bethlehem star. This is my quest, to follow that star no matter how hopeless, no matter how far. To fight for the right without question or pause. To be willing to march into hell for a heavenly cause. And I know if I only be true through this glorious quest, that when my heart 
will be peaceful and calm when I'm laid down to rest. And then here comes the Jesus part for me. And the world will be better for this, that one man scorned and covered with scars still strove with his last ounce of courage to reach the unreachable star. If we could have those words in our hearts and can see the sea of our calling is immense, we would all say, okay, God, time to launch. Do good for Jesus. Do good for the world. Amen? Amen. Amen. And just before I give the final blessing or benediction, I want to remind you that we have a wonderful prayer team that will be meeting just outside the um, glass doors. And so if you have a desire to pray with someone, they would be so much willing to, to pray for you all. Okay, receive this. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and his countenance be upon you. And may you know deep in your heart the wonderful love and grace and mercy of God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And when all is said and done, may he say, well done, good and faithful servants. In Christ's name, amen. God bless. Goodbye online. Ahuiho. See you all. God's call, the Great Commission, is to go out and share his good news. But we are always to reflect God's grace and mercy in the process. If you want to catch up on or listen again to previous services, visit our websites, fpchawaii.org and thevinehawaii.org. You can also find First Prez sermons on most major podcast services and now on YouTube. First Prez invites you to church. Join us in person or online. Services are Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. at the Ko'olau campus, 10 a.m. at the Vine, or online at fpchawaii.org and thevinehawaii.org. Remember, when you visit the website, check out the news page to keep up with all that's happening at the church. You can also sign up for emails, listen to or watch sermons, and lots more. And as always, if there's anything First Prez can do for you, please reach out through the websites or just call 808-532-1111. For Senior Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Prez, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you, stay safe, and thank you for listening. This sermon podcast is copyright 2022 and produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu.